0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Happy summer right in the middle of it. Hopefully you're doing well. I'm Ray Harkins, your host for 100 Words Will Less, the podcast, where we gallivant in independent music and we talk to people who make it up whether it's you know, playing in bands, whether it's behind the scenes, whether it's taking all the stuff that you have learned from this beautiful, beautiful scene and apply it to other creative endeavors, uh, that's who we got on the show. And it's, it's, it's a good time, right? I'm having a good time. Thank you very much for everybody who's recently dove into this show because i've been getting a lot of feedback from uh from new people who have been listening to the show via you know spotify and other different platforms the show is uh spreading its tentacles and i love that i really appreciate you checking this thing out so because uh, there's there's a lot of other things that you could be doing with your time like so much like you know, this podcast quote unquote competes against everything else that's out there from you know netflix to games on your phone to other podcasts or whatever. So the fact that so many of you download this and take your time to spend time with this is really, really valuable. And I, I want to make sure, like, this is not just like platitudes. I'm not just like putting it out there because like, oh, thank you very much for tuning in. It's like, no, I really genuinely appreciate that. So I hope you know that. The guest this week is Matt Copland. He is the vocalist for band a band called Reversal of Man who loomed large in my in early 2000s, you know, screamo, hardcore, whatever you want to call it. It loomed large in my, uh, my uh, I guess, musical input, as it were, uh, because I was uh, obsessed with all things that kind of uh, circled around the ebullition uh, ecosystem and uh, if you don't know what ebullition is then uh, you can easily google it but uh, to give you a brief history lesson, ebullition records was a record label based out of Goleta, California which is basically right next to Santa Barbara and uh, they were not only a label but a distro as well run by a guy named Kent McClard and they had uh, DIY or die was their, uh, their life's blood they uh, you know basically didn't stock records that had Barcodes, and uh, you know, they sold to record stores, uh, independent record stores around the country. And uh, I visited the distro many times. Um, Kent, I knew on a first name basis when I would come into the uh, the distro to buy more stuff. And I just really, really admired um, all of the bands that kind of circled in that uh, that world, uh, just because it was, you know, it was very hand to mouth, very reactionary. It was like we're going to self screen print shirts. From a thrift store and sell them later on tonight at our show, um, you know bands like Yafek Kodo and Orchid and all that stuff was just um, I was so lucky to have witnessed a lot of those bands and to be able to kind of experience that and so reversal Man was completely in that wheelhouse so um, let 's get some let 's get some stuff that is on my mind onto your mind, and then i 'll talk a little bit more about Matt before we dive in uh, first of all, I am in Hawaii, and i 'm posting this episode that shows how dedicated i am to not only you but this show (laughs) i just i have to give myself a pat in the back back occasionally because i mean it's like whatever 315 14 episodes in and uh very rarely do i take a week off so uh yeah just you know way to go ray (laughs) but uh band merch right you wear band merch i'm wearing band merch as we speak i'm wearing a disembodied t-shirt and uh you need to buy band merch and you can do that at rockabilly.com and use the code PC Jabberjaw. We'll get you fifteen percent off of your first order. I love their service. They've got so many items to choose from. Anything you can think of, from like really obscure bands to the biggest bands in the world, they have it and they have options for you. Great shipping rates like they're not you know being like oh cool here's a 15 dollar you know first class mail charge it's like no they're charging you the reasonable amount and uh they're just they're great people over there i've i've gotten to know one of the uh Guys, Frankie, a little bit through our business dealings, and uh, yeah, he's just, he's just a dude that supports the scene, man. <laughs> as simple as simple as that. So support Rockabilia, you support this show. PC Jabberjaw will get you fifteen percent off your order, and you should cash in on that immediately if you already haven't. So, and if you have, then just tell a friend. Okay. Uh, what else do I got? Um, nothing. Nothing else. I mean, actually, no, that's not true. I've been having a lot of feedback as well from a couple weeks ago. I told. Many of you, well, not many of you, all of you who listen to the show have been having uh, some struggles with my uh, my son as far as him going through some anxiety and some fears. Uh, He's been going to therapy, and I really appreciate all of you who have reached out about that um, because you don't know how to deal with that. (laughs) This is something that uh, many of my family members have suffered from. I personally haven't uh, gone through it myself. But, um, yeah, sometimes you just feel helpless and it's nice to hear from other people who, uh, go through that journey and struggle at times. And so, yeah, I just appreciate all of you who reach out and you can always email the show 100 words podcast at gmail.com. I am, uh, pretty punishing when it comes to responses. <laughs> like sometimes people are, are disarmed because I respond so quickly and they're like, dude, d- do you need to take a minute? I'm like, no, no, thank you so much for writing. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So like I said, Matt. Vocalist of Reversal of Man. He uh, also is a very, very well-known uh, BMX industry lifer. He's, uh, he, we talked about that a little bit in the interview, but um, just Reversal of Man is an incredible band. Uh, you know, short-lived as far as the years uh, and musical output, but... Uh, the Revolution Summer EP—that was the first thing that I got into them on—and then uh, this is the "This Is Medicine" LP was also incredible, and that came out in Nebulation Records. And uh, I got to see them once at the PCH Club in uh, Long Beach, or actually Wilmington, California, to be more precise. And, uh, I always, Matt was always kind of like looming in my circle of friends. And I was like, I, I really, I want to reach out. And, uh, Matt has been nothing like we've, we've continued on a relationship after this interview. And I, I love that when I can connect with people on a deep level and then also be like, Oh yeah, like I actually like to talk to you besides just the <laughs> interview for the podcast. It's really cool. So here is Matt and I will talk to you. Uh, yeah. After the episode is over. Okay. Got it. So yeah, like I said, I kind of, you know, uh, start these things off my own personal entry point to, you know, you and your music and everything like that. Um, it so and reversal, of man, for w- whatever reason, being from Southern California, it, it just loom, your band loomed very large in my life because, uh, you know, I saw you guys play at the PCH club, um, in Long Beach. And I was also really piped into the, you know, ebullition scene, like basically any band that had any sort of tangential affiliation to the label or the distro, I was just, you know, all on board. And, you know, with, with Reversal Man, like clearly you guys had, uh, you know, a, kind of a, a an agenda from the get-go in ways that, you know, many other bands just kind of, are like, oh, whatever, we're playing music. Um, I presume that kind of uh, intention uh, was really at the forefront of your guys's mind as you started to kind of put things together, or did it just kind of happen? You know, as you started to kind of flesh out the the music and the message, kind of came um, at the same time, I guess.
1: Um, that's actually a really good question. I've, I've been thinking about this. I had a conversation with my buddy Justin last week, and and uh, he he's an old friend of mine from the from the punk and hardcore scene as well. And as we were talking about it, I realized like there were there were almost like different 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 historical parts of the band we were only around for five years but i feel like you know the the beginning was us well i mean mo- most of the lyrics were written by myself but all, a lot of those lyrics were based on just random things i was i was kind of into at the time and that seemed to be the first avatar from like 95 to 97 like for some reason, I got into like extraterrestrial stuff. I don't know why. Because looking back, I'm like, why was why was I even interested in that?
0: <laughs> well, dude, kid, <laughs> so like that kid, yeah, kids get interested in UFOs and ghosts and unexplained stuff. So I get that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there was a little bit of that in the beginning, which you know is kind of funny looking back on. And then, um, and then I would say in like '97, um, a lot of family related stuff started popping up, and I realized that like a lot of stuff dealing with my grandparents as they were getting older because they they essentially raised me so I had a very strong connection to both my grandmother and my grandfather on my maternal side so those issues were popping up and and like um um death kind of popped up a lot in that I, I don't know why maybe it's because they were getting older and I was really fearing their you know passing away which a couple years later they did and then um and then Dan Ratty kind of came into the into the mix, and Dan was was always a good friend of ours, and he ended up playing guitar for us in '98, and um, a lot of the stuff that came out of the Revolution Summer 10-inch, which was you know very heavily based on friendship, was a lot of of his doing not not doing, but just him getting involved. We realized that man, we're just we really enjoyed being in this band together and, and I think friendship and within our scene, I think played a large part in the lyric writing then. And I, I think it was attributed to the fact that we were kind of stuck on this peninsula down here and a lot of bands didn't come through um, while they were touring. So the scene down here was really, really tight knit and it was, it was really just this large group of friends. And I feel like reversal man was, an extension or an extending into that. So as I as I'm getting older, I realize that Reversal Man wasn't necessarily the five dudes that were in the band, and I feel that like Chris Taylor from Page Ninety Nine kind of briefed on this as well. Like it was a, a much larger group of people, almost encompassing our whole scene, and that was what really played in the lyrics in '98. And then we went on tour, um, and we did that six week tour with Ass suck which I'm thinking that's when you might have seen us play at the PCH Club.
0: I was I, th- I th- it was well did you guys come out here with Orchid as well or am I m- misremembering that?
1: Maybe. I was I actually I actually left tour in ninety
0: nine. Okay.
1: Uh, I, I had a nervous breakdown in ninety nine and left and the Reversal Man continued as a three piece and then I joined again the next summer. Dude that's, So I was out I yeah. was out first.
0: I think okay that 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 probably was the when I saw it cuz I I never saw Asuk. Um so I, I and I know I would have like, you know, stuck around to see them or whatever. But yeah, that that, that makes sense. I I do like how you painted that picture cuz I, I think a lot of, you know, scenes especially, you know, kind of uh pre or, you know, in the infancy of the internet, you know, you were left to your own devices and the only way you connected were, you know, pen pals and letters and, you know, maybe message boards as, you know, that started to become a thing, but yeah the the, certain bands in certain scenes really kind of rallied around that fact of what you're talking about where it's just like yeah you know we're we are a band and we are these you know four or five members but everybody kind of rallies around it in a way that is like this is you know whether anyone could describe it at the time it's kind of emblematic of our town and our scene
1: yes agreed very much so it's interesting too because you brought up pen pals like the the pin pal situation was a very, very important part of the band for all of us because all of us wrote a ton of letters to people. I mean, I was corresponding with people in my own town via snail mail, you know? And it, when I started college, right after Reversal Man started in the summer of 95, and I remember. I, I chose uh, environmental science just because I thought, oh, you know, there's some weird connection to the environment, animal liberation, which I was really into at the time, so I'll get into this, which I eventually switched to uh, English and creative writing. But I was writing, I was probably writing 25 letters a week <laughs> in between going to class. And I would get, you know, six or seven letters in a day, and by that night when I was done studying, I would write six or seven more letters out to people. And I think the original lengthy tours we did uh, on top of being on tour with Asuk, were all these connections that we had made and friendships we had made via, you know, via snail mail, essentially. So, uh, and then I feel like those people got invol- involved with the band as well because we would we would play these shows out of town and it would just be like a group of people that we knew from writing letters to that were this built-in scene that we went to them instead of this, you know, them being from here in Tampa. It was, it was actually really awesome thinking back about it wherever we went, up in the Northeast or even in, Southern California or there were like these pockets of people that we knew that were just kind of a built-in group of friends for us where we'd go. So it's kind of interesting how that played into things.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I, it's, you know, because... I I always try to make sure that, you know, these conversations don't get into the, you know, old man, nostalgic territory of like, Oh, things used to be so much pure or whatever. But like, you know what you were doing with the, the pen pal scenario is, you know, similar to how people were, you know, banging out MySpace messages and like, yes, of course there's an easier delivery mechanism. Like you don't have to put a stamp on it and put it in. Sure. Absolutely. But like, you know, these things exist. And as long as like the dedication is there for people to spend the time on it, um, you know, then it's, uh, like, like you said, then you're able to show up at places and have, um, you know, familiar faces. Like, even though, like you said, you've, you know, never met in real life, but then you meet the person and it's like, oh yeah, like we're already, you know, we're talking about the, the cool vegan spot in town or whatever. And that's, that's really, you know, I, I think that is special about this scene because of that, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, uh, in Tampa, it was. It was amazing. Like it was a, a younger scene here. Like people, when I was in high school in the in the mid to late nineties, like it was a really small scene. And by I mean by ninety seven, Tampa had become this really really thriving scene, and bands were finally coming down to to visit. It was it was really amazing. There was a draw. I mean, this is kind of tangential, but you know, when I first started going to shows in the early nineties, there, there was none of that. It was you get big bands down here, but the DIY scene was very very minimal. And then, you know, through the 90s and early 2000s, early aughts, I should say, it got really, really, I don't know, it became a really, really rich and huge scene. So definitely stoked to look back on that, yeah. thinking about it.
0: No, for sure. Yeah. And especially, too, when you have uh, certain bands that, you know, uh, quote unquote, make it out of the town and, you know, have some sort of national recognition then other people, you know, other younger kids look at that and are like, oh, like I can do that in some fashion. And so, yeah, that, that's the only way that... um you know, scenes get built. And I've always, <laughs> I've always had this idea in my head that, you know, if I was, uh, you know, like a, a millionaire, I would love to basically be like, you know, a hardcore band of like pirates where basically you go, to the, <laughs> you know, it's like, you go to these small towns where I don't know why I always like, there, there's a place called Gilroy, California, which is like the garlic capital of the world, and I just like, how rad would it be to like spend a year in that town and like you know start a band and like it just I don't know like to kind of plant those seeds in a really deliberate way, <laughs> but yeah, that's essentially. Gil- Gil-
1: yeah, Gilroy's outside of Fresno,
0: right? Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Which which is funny because Gilroy, as a crazy transition, has a huge BMX scene. Believe it or not.
0: Oh, there, see, there you go. There's already an undercurrent of like sub. Yeah, like that. totally. <laughs> that's amazing. Totally. Um and so kind of kind of pointing, you know, more directly towards you like you said you were, you know, raised by your uh you know your grandparents had a very large hand in uh, your upbringing. Um describe to me your family structure as you were growing up.
1: Um my mom, well th- th- I don't want to get too personal on this, but both of my parents were married and divorced 3 times. So, um my my stepfather kind of raised me, um but we lived literally across the street from my grandparents like my, our driveways, you know, there was a road separating our driveways. So uh, my mom worked a lot. Um, she had several kind of big deal jobs. She was, uh, a manager of, at Reynolds aluminum actually here in Tampa for a while. Um, so I was, I was raised mostly by my grandmother and my grandfather. My grandfather passed away in 95. Um, he was a world war II veteran. So I, I I had a really strong connection to him um, just with his history, and he was a really, really intelligent person, really, really good at math. And then my grandmother did all the, you know, she raised me and took us places and whatnot. So um, unfortunately, my, my mom, because she was working full-time and then eventually got a divorce from my stepdad, she, she was not really around as much as she liked to be, so that's where my grandparents came in. And um, it was weird. I, my grandmother was an alcoholic, and she had a gambling addiction. She was basically an addict. I mean, she had all kinds of vices. And I feel like because of who she was made me who I was. Because I didn't, in this weird roundabout way, I didn't want to upset her in any way. So what I did was I did the opposite of what she did <laughs> in this weird roundabout. Like, so you know, I've never tried alcohol. I never did that. Right. I didn't even do anything like that. So, so she kind of set this benchmark for the person i didn't want to become but also the person i didn't want to piss off so uh sure really bizarre relationship um but i mean i loved her to death and and um i, I miss her quite a bit but yeah she she pretty much raised us both me and my youngest brother actually so um and then later on when we uh, it's funny as late as a side note we we would eventually do shows in our garage um mostly in the summer of 90 summers of 99 96 and 97 my my mom at that time kind of was i know, just experiencing experiencing some rough times she actually worked at a bingo hall believe it or not at night so okay. um we would have these bands come in and play either our garage or my living room bands would come in right after she would left to work we would play um, the house would be a wreck. We'd clean up the house. The bands would leave. And then my mom would come home from work. And the funny thing is, is that she didn't know about this until recently. <laughs> so I made like some Instagram post about it. And she's like, I had no clue you were doing this. Like, well, I guess we did a good job then.
0: Yeah, totally. You're like, so. hey, we are doing these covert shows. And the, the person that lives in the house has no idea that this is happening. It's like, oh, perfect. Yeah, we can keep this going.
1: But I, the crazy thing was too, is that my grandmother never said anything about it. Like she was, the garage faced my grandmother's house and I'm talking, I mean, you know, obviously there's extremely loud bands playing in the garage, you know, and she never, she never ratted us out. I thought it was pretty
0: awesome. Oh, that's that's spectacular. <laughs> and I do, yeah. I, I, the, the, the picture you paint of, um, you know, the, uh, getting raised by your grandparents. And I think that, that yeah, I really identify with that. Cause I, I mean, my, my mom, my parents were divorced when I was five and you know, there's a couple of years where my mom was basically relying on her parents. And I, I think there is something that is really valuable of that, having that close generational connection to grandparents, because I think it's, um, you know, a lot of people have that relationship with, you know, older folks is the the people they see once or twice a year at holidays and they're like, Oh yeah, I just want to avoid them because they talk about weird stuff or whatever. And like, you know, for, for, like you said, the close connection that you had with your grandmother, even though, you know, through her, all of her flaws, you, you know, loved her and she gave you a lot of these things unintentionally <laughs> that bu- yeah, absolutely built the backbone. I think that's such a, um, you know i mean I, this sounds very you know alice in wonderland pie in the sky but it's like that's that's a really special thing you know yeah,
1: yeah absolutely <laughs> that's funny even thinking politically too because both of my i mean my my grandfather especially was very intelligent they were both from uh west virginia you know from the hollers which i found out a couple of years ago um is is vernacular for hollow which is just a basically a little neighborhood in west virginia but you know they grew up in a really rough area my grandmother was extremely poor uh growing up and you know along with that came with very conservative not religious because they weren't religious but political views so it was interesting like even growing up with like honestly a little bit of racism going racism going on in there too like it, it's it's weird that i completely disconnected from that as well and almost fought it like no this is you know i learned this is not the way to think yeah. you know it was I don't know. You think given the environment, I would have turned out to be, all of my brothers for that matter, would have turned out to be, you know, different people, but somehow we turned out to be the complete opposite, which I don't know. It's kind of funny how it works.
0: BMX and, uh, you know, kind of hardcore into your life at around 1989. And it seemed like that was a, you know, real pivotal year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The 89 was when, um, I mean, I, I was still into metal at that point, but BMX introduced, um, there were, there were kind of two different scenes. There was, there was this like scene of, of um, BMXers from Oklahoma that put out videos that were very connected to like the discord scene. And then there was a group of BMXers from Austin, Texas who were really connected to the industrial scene of like Illinois of ministry of front two, four, two. So I got subjected to both punk and industrial kind of at the same time, which I'm, I'm still very much into both, both of those genres. But uh, that was kind of my, my breaking into those style of musics actually, or those style of music was through, through BMX and uh, they both kind of progressed together. So,
0: got it, got it. That makes sense. and now, I was actually going to bring this up a little bit later, but um it's appropriate to talk about it now. I think there and maybe just because of me being from Southern California and uh you know existing around skate culture, even though you know I was terrible at skateboarding, so I'd never got into it but there was always this real, real divide of like, Oh yeah. BMX is pretty lame, but skateboarding is cool. Like, <laughs> I, 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 you, I know your perspective is clearly very colored because you've been in the industry for a long time. And you know, that is how you, not only you make your living, but you uh, have so many important things in your life, but like, for one does that still kind of exist or is that basically like a a relic of the past where it's like
1: no 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 it absolutely still exists actually it's funny (laughs) i follow um i follow nate from uh from converge uh i knew him from um from the channel days when he was in channel they tour down here and we and reversal man ended up touring with jesuit at at some point but uh you know nate is is really into skating and stuff and i i was actually really kind of heartbroken over this dude he um Nate had said something about this new cement park and park opening up in um, the part of Virginia, which I think he still, still lives in. And there was this other, like kind of straight edge dude that made this really backhanded comment about BMX. And I'm like, I'm not a troll, but I so badly want to jump in there and say something like, dude, this is just, this is just really lame. <laughs> but yeah, there's still, there's still a lot of, there's still a divide for sure. We have the skate park at Tampa down here, which is literally about four miles from my house. It's one of the oldest indoor skate parks in the U S um, really tight with the owner. Um, and then the old owner that broke off who does the border now. So I'm really tight with both those guys. But there's still this – there's still a vibe for sure. It's, it's funny. There's like an older vibe. There's a vibe with my age bracket, which I'm early 40s. And then with the 50-year-old kind of bowl skater dudes, there's still a weird vibe. And then with a lot of the younger dudes now going to spots, there's there's a vibe. But, you know, you get you get to know someone and it's – I don't know. You know, it kind of changes their perspective on things. They realize that I'm just I'm just here to have a good time, and I'm not trying to smash your shit up. I'm not trying to ruin your spots. I'm right. respectful. So, so, but yeah, there's still definitely a divide there. And we, I, with profile, my my current job, which I, I've been working at, we've been I've been there 17 years now. Like we, part of my job is to take the team out into, you know, to go ride spots in the U.S. We've done a couple of European tours, but we're always like very aware of that being a situation no matter where we go so it's always like stepping on on eggshells for sure when you go to spots to not piss off the skaters because it just exacerbates the you know that divide there so but yeah it still exists for sure
0: that that i just i wanted to make sure that that my uh my my outsider's perception of it um you know was was either dated or somewhat accurate so that i I appreciate that (laughs) um And so what was your, uh, kind of path that you were headed on before, you know, music really kind of consumed you? Um, like, you know, did you, I, I mean, it sounds like you were making the connection, like, you know, as you were going through, you know, high school and college, like you said, the environmental science degree and that sort of stuff, you were connecting it directly to your, you know, ethics and principles and stuff. But, you know, did you have an idea of like, oh, this is what I'd like to do for a career or was it just basically like, oh yeah, whatever.
1: No, not at all. Um, I was kind, my mom actually was a, had a really large hand in getting me into college. I was going, I actually went up to to um, Boston actually because I, I got an acceptance letter from from uh, Boston U. and um, It's funny, I went up there the summer of '94 to check out the school, and I wanted to go because of the Boston scene. I was really into Converge. I was really into like um, there were a lot of these obscure bands up there from the time, like Chillmark and. Um, Who else was from that scene? Bound was from up there. Um, I was really connected to that scene, so that's why I wanted to go. And then my mom ended up getting me into the University of Tampa, which is right here in downtown. And um, the reason I went was because I I was able to get a larger scholarship from them because we couldn't afford – I couldn't afford to go to school unless I had help. So we ended up – Ended up going to UT, chose environmental science at random just because I made the, you know, the odd connection of, oh, you know I'm kind of in, in, into environmentalism, I'm into animal rights, let me, let me go down this path. And then I actually took a modern poetry class in 97 and, uh, and switched as soon as I was done with that class. I'm like, I think I want to get into literature. I'd always enjoyed reading, but I think this professor I had was just so – she was so awesome and so enveloped with what she did that that kind of changed my mind. For a uh, for a major switch, which I switched to uh, English and then um, creative writing as a minor, but uh, I had no career path with that. I was just doing it because honestly, I felt it was punk. I'm like, man, this stuff is really, really punk.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> so well, like, and, and, it, and it's really romantic too. Like the idea, yeah, because it's connected to art and very c- much so. Yeah, c- clearly not something that many people choose to you know dedicate their studies towards. So yeah, I I, I totally see where you're coming from. That's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the path I kind of went down met my wife actually the next year uh we had another poetry class together so uh we met in 98 and then um both graduated in 2000 um we both took the gre to go to grad school and she's infinitely more intelligent than i am so of course she did really well and i did terrible i do terrible on, on standardized tests so uh it's kind of in this just I don't know, just kind of floating there. She ended up going to the University of Florida, which she's still there. Actually, she works for the University of Florida now. She she lives two hours north of here, uh, and she commutes back and forth on weekends. But um, yeah, I was kind of in a holding holding pattern in 2000, and then um, I ended up I ended up going for a job interview at a, uh, the Hartford, which is an insurance company. I was kind of like, oh, I'll just do this for a while. And the same day I actually get a job interview at profile, which is where I'm at now, which is a, a BMX parts manufacturer. And, uh, I was like, uh, do I want this $8 job slinging bike parts? Or do I want this career job where I make, you know, $35,000 a year selling insurance? And I'm like, nah, I'm going to go with the parts. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> so that was an 01. I've been there 17 years. So that's kind of the path I, I took. I mean, it's interesting, like the, the the degree I got and the creative writing that I did, it, I, I actually do use it there because I'm doing a lot of our social media. Actually, I do a lot of our social media. I do a lot of our web work. Um, I shoot photos for a product and for a writer. So, I mean, the photo stuff came much later on, but um, I'm actually using it which kind of feels good but it's funny because when I was at UT they had a separate um, business wing of the school and I always it's funny because I remember I wrote a poem about it actually and I, I called this sounds terrible I, I i made this analogy to like people who, study, who were studying businesses as being soulless <laughs> like right. how crappy does that sound now and then, uh, and now here I am 17 years later and I'm literally selling, that's what I've been doing for 17 years is selling bike parts. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>. So,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, that, that's a, that's a sliding scale. It just depends like, you know, uh, yeah. When you hear the word sales, like there, you know, is, uh, imagery of people, you know, from the movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross of just like, always oh, be closing. It doesn't matter what you're selling. You could be selling knives or, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, like, no, I want to care about what I'm selling and, not just like a sales job or whatever so i i, I understand you you can apply all the stuff that you've learned not only from like the punk and hardcore scene but like your actual degree and be like oh yeah like i'm I'm being artistic and that feels good
1: yeah no absolutely and the awesome connection too is that i, I met a lot of people in the cycling industry that are very like-minded as well like a lot of our core shops are old punk and hardcore dudes it's really really awesome yeah. a couple of, a lot of really really core shops are Right before we got on this call together, I was talking to one of our uh, core shops up in Providence, Rhode Island, or they're in Pawtucket. They're called Circuit BMX, but Vic, the owner, and his wife Carol, old friends of mine, and they're they're from the punk scene, and it's great. Like, it's great to have that connection there. Again, you know, it's still 20 years later. That BMX uh, punk connect is just so heavy, no matter where we go. So it's it's awesome, and I love it.
0: Yeah. The connectivity is there. I mean, subcultures will attract, uh, you know, people of all different walks of life, but at the end of the day, you're attracted to something that is, you know, left of center. And like, you know, even though whatever skateboarding and BMX is, you know, more mainstream than it was, you know, 15 years ago, it's still a subculture. It's still, especially if you're trying to, you know, make it the center of your life. And it's like, you know, most people, like you said, they'd look at an insurance job and be like, oh yeah, that's the practical thing to do. So yeah. (laughs) Hey, pardon the interruption, but this is a very positive interruption. So you've heard a ton about privacy policies in the past month or so, right? You've got all those incessant emails about stuff. But have you ever heard about a company being stoked on their privacy policy? Well, one of my favorite clients, WeTransfer, absolutely is. For one, they don't sell user data. They don't snoop or spy on files. And they don't want anyone to know your shoe size, soft drink preference, or shopping history which is incredibly important when you're sending files. (laughs) They're all about making file sharing super easy for everyone. And have you worrying about privacy is the last thing that you need to think about when you're working with them. WeTransfer serves ads to keep their service free, but never in that creepy, I was literally just talking about that thing and then all of a sudden it appears on my computer screen. So that's very positive. In fact, they reserve 30% of their ad space to showcase the work of artists from around the world, which is awesome because I've seen podcasters being featured on there. I've seen musicians. It's super, super cool. It's their way of making the internet a nicer, simpler, more beautiful place because after all, we need that when we're existing in our digital lives. So start sending files privately and securely at wetransfer.com. You make wetransfer. I love this service so much big props to we transfer the only way to send big files. Okay? Now, back to the show. Just because, you know, the the history of Reversal of Man, you know, has been you know pretty well documented as far as, uh, you know, I'm not going to hit a lot of the same beats that other people have spoken about, but like something that always intrigued me about um, you know, you, your vocal stylings, and then the fact that um, there were, you know, other bands that were, you know, doing similar-ish things to you guys, but it was always the vocals that really, really set bands of that nature apart. And you guys completely fell into that. Like, you know, your vocals like are very take it or leave it. People either like love reversal of man or they're like, dude, that guy is shrieking. And I can't even like, begin. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like,
1: sure. And, absolutely.
0: And did, I guess, did people, um, you know, did you get kind of that feedback? Like not people going up to you being like, Oh yeah, I hate your band because of your vocals or whatever. But like, you know, did you feel that kind of like a take it or leave it with reversal of man or, or was it, um, was it something that, you know, you just didn't really recognize until after the fact.
1: Um, it's a good question. Um, I hate my vocals. I hate the way they sound. I hate, and I'm sure that's probably with most people that consider, I don't, I don't consider myself a musician by any means, but, um, I thought about this as well, and I think for us, it was less the recordings and more the live shows that really mattered. I, I had, um, again, talking to my friend Justin the other day, and this is tangential, but I think connects to, to answering this question. He was like asking about a reunion show, which will never happen because we, there's just no way we could do it. But, you know, a lot of the bands getting back together to, to do these reunion shows. Um, it, it was, for us, it was more about the live show. So, it was less about my vocals and more about just the absolute kind of chaos going on on stage that really mattered to us. I think,
0: right? Um, the re- the records were a delivery mechanism for you know the message, and then the fact that you could play these songs live and hopefully get people out to the show.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think maybe that stemmed from the bands that we were looking up to because from that same style of music, you know, like. I was thinking of bands like Honeywell and Portraits of Past and Frail. You know, Frail's very hit or miss. People. Um, I was talking to Chris Callahan about it the other day. He was like, "Yeah, Frail. He, he, I guess. I mean, from what I gathered, he doesn't he doesn't like them at all." But I, I could see a lot of people disliking that that very shrill noise. But for us, that's what we that's what we emulated. That's what we idolized. So that's what we tried to do. Right. Um, and when I saw Frail live, I got it. I'm like, it wasn't the recordings for me. It was seeing them live and how much power and energy and emotion went into their live show. That was really forced and first and and foremost and in the forefront. So, um, yeah, the recorded stuff. Like I remember a lot of those, I remember being at the, um, where we had shows was at the, um, we had a couple different houses that we did shows at. And when Steve Heritage from ASUC was recording, let's see what album was that? That was, this is medicine album. I, I, we were doing the vocals, and I couldn't stand the way that they were sounding. So he actually put a um, uh, some sort of reverb, reverb or something on it to make them sound different. <laughs> so that's like <laughs> where the where the vocals progressed. It wasn't it wasn't intentional to go with the music. It was more of man, I really don't like listening to this, so I'm going to change the
0: way it sounds. So, um, that's really funny. It's like, well, this, this is this is borderline unlistenable, so I'm gonna go ahead and put some stuff on it.
1: <laughs> that's so yeah, funny. which which is funny because I feel like it even made it more unlistenable. Uh, not that I didn't care about it, I did very much, but it's like when like I'm listening to bands like Union of Uranus or like His Hero's Gone, I'm thinking, like, man, these dudes' as vocalists are this is powerful, this is brutal. I'm sure they probably thought the same thing about their own vocals, but um, but yeah, that's kind of, kind of where we went with. With with the vocal patterning, um, sure, and it's funny like listening to that stuff now because I listen to like, like now with like Meat Wound, who's our local band here, it's Dan from Combat wooded Veteran. Like his vocal patterns, I they invited me to do two guest songs last summer on their EP that they put out before they left for tour, and I'm like listening to Dan's vocals, and I'm like, this is so strategic and so well done. I feel like, I feel like I'm blowing this for you guys. So. <laughs> totally, you're like,
0: I, but it's funny because I, I think. Honestly, most of the time, like especially when you're recording vocals, you feel like, you know, even if it's like a loud, you know, visceral band, like you're recording is such a sterile environment that you feel like you're just ruining it. You know, it's just like, oh gosh, like it sounds terrible coming through the headphones. And so, yeah, I don't, you're not alone in that. That's a
1: really good point. That's (laughs) a really good point. Actually, thinking about that, when Dan and I were doing those vocals, we were facing each other doing it. You look way cooler. You sound way cooler. Man, this sucks.
0: Yeah, totally. You're like, I'm like red faced and sweating and you look like you're yeah. just like fine yelling. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, totally. That's really funny. <laughs> that is funny. Um, and something that I, I always, um, you know, or what attracted me to reversal of man as well was the, um, you know, there, and many of your peers could exist in the same world as well, where it's like, there was no real path for sustainability in regards to the notion of like, Oh, let's like make this band, a you know, full-time touring band or whatever, like that, you know, I mean, granted that was the era in which there were bands that were kind of popping up that could, you know, do that where it's, I mean, I always point to bands like, you know, poison the well and hate breed where it's like those bands, you know, kind of opened up the idea of like, Oh wow. Like we can do this. But like, clearly you were not in that same scene. Um, and so it always felt like, you know, when you go to see, you know, reversal man, it's like, hey, this could be the last time they're coming through. Like you, you never know. Like, <laughs> and yeah, um, the, did I, I guess did you, um, being in the middle of it, did did it kind of feel that way too, where it was like always sort of fragile, or did it feel very, I guess, focused, where it's like, no, man, we're gonna push this as far as we can.
1: Um, starting honestly after that tour in '98 with Asak, where we toured. We did. Is that two back-to-back tours? No. 98 was six weeks, and then ninety-nine was six weeks, and then Europe. Um, that's when I like to use the term "fragile." Fragile was definitely like, oh, I, I, in my mind, I any day it could have it could have imploded upon itself. Not that we weren't not that we weren't tight. I mean, I'm still tight with all the dudes, um, except john which is another story but that, that was the drummer but all the other dudes in the band i'm still really really tight with it was more of like um touring for that long was just really really brutal um i mean you know it is you guys you um, you guys tour um I, I don't know if you if you tour for that long but it's it's really really wrenching on you and, um, yeah, I think starting in 98 after that, uh, the tour was amazing with Asak. It was six weeks long. But after that, I'm like, man, that was really, really draining. And I think that's when things got a little bit more volatile where, you know, the next summer we we did a European tour, which was amazing. I would never take any of that stuff back. But it was just like I was, I was fearing it. I'm like, man, we're going to be gone all summer again. I mean, this is also when I was really, really getting into BMX. And I was traveling a lot more for it, so not being able to ride my bike for three months at a time was obviously, you know, yeah. really painful. Totally. But, but no, I don't think as far as like long run went, like no. I mean, we were doing it as, and I think Chris again from Page and I hit this on the head too. Like you'd go to play to shows for forty, you know, to forty people and be stoked. You know, that's all you could really ask for, and you you play your heart out, and if if five people came up to you afterwards and said they were really stoked on what you guys did, then Mission Accomplished. If one person did that, you know, Mission right. Accomplished. So we weren't thinking, like, long-term at all. And and uh, it's also a scary thought, too, to think of all the bands that that I was really into that, that, like, kind of broke up or came back later on and tried to produce, you know, more material. And it's like there's – it's just not – I don't know. It's so hard to recreate that – when you don't know what you're doing, I feel like a lot of this experimental stuff happened because it was just happenstance. You know, it was like, we're going to put a bunch of stuff together and it, it may or may not work where, you know, a lot of bands kind of get more into this situation and I could be completely going off tangent here, but you you start like putting things together and it loses its, it loses its feeling because it's so, it, 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 it's put on like this, I don't know, this map of creation, you know, where, where then we would just get together, we would practice, play, you know, throw a bunch of crap together, and if it worked, it worked. And uh, we were just kind of looking forward to that weekend, you know, we get to play out to 40 of our friends. So, and that's what that's what we we strive for, and that's what that's what made us stoked. Yeah. So.
0: Well, that, that's I, I do like the. The, the words that you use there like the map of creation because i you know not st- clearly not sliding bands that you know are now like now there is a uh path in which bands can start and have a vision of how they could turn this into where it's like oh yes like you know i am a touring musician you know and that's awesome because so mm-hmm. many of our friends exist in that world but like when they w- when you get on the treadmill of you know you're on two or ten months out of the year, and then you have no uh, connectivity to the world at large beyond existing in vans and buses and whatever. Then you start to, you know, frankly, you just run out of material to like pull inspiration from,
1: you know, and like yeah, you're that's that's a really good point. I never thought of that for sure. Absolutely,
0: yeah. And but like like you said, but the the, the fact that you know um, so many. I mean, Reversal Band is a prime example of a band that, you know, you guys existed in a a shorter period of time. You accomplished a decent amount as far as touring and and releasing records. But like there, you know, there probably was no sustain, there, well, obviously there was no sustainability in the fact that you were, you were creating when it was, you know, convenient for you and when it was like, okay, yeah, like, like you said, this is just like, okay, yeah, I guess we'll tour because, you know, we're, we're off during this time and like we just released a record or whatever, as opposed to, okay, it's been 18 months. It's time for a new record, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> yeah. It was interesting too, because every break we got, we would be on the road like winter break, you know, the two weeks, um, that you, you had, had breaks for, from college, um, and from school for that matter. Well, Jeff was still in high school at the time our bass player, but like the two weeks in between, um, winter and spring it's like take off you know you go to Canada or you go to California or wherever and then summer was like always slated we're just gonna be on the road I mean granted we were doing it for fun it's not like we were like alright we need to go out there and make some cash it's like <laughs> we're gonna yeah, we're totally gonna weird. go to school in the uh, in the uh, in the spring we're gonna work at the same time part time I was working at a Dunkin Donuts actually we'd save up all our money and we would spend all that money to tour which was rad that's all we wanted to do like we're gonna dump it back in because we just want to play shows um, so yeah to think of it I mean, it would have been, you know, and I think with a different band might have been cool to try to do something more serious, but I don't think we even took ourselves that serious. <laughs> we're just like, we just want to play to our friends, play a bunch of, you know, really loud music and have this kind of emotional experience and then and then go back to um, what we were doing in the fall, you know, go back to school or go back to work and start over again and start saving for that next one.
0: Well, but maybe, maybe this is just due to the age in which I was, um, you know, uh, consuming your music, you know, whatever, 17, 18, 19 years old, but the, you know, to kind of not poke a hole in what you just said, but the idea that, um, it, it, you know, the, the band felt, um, important to me because it was, um, you know, kind of, it was a rallying cry in a sense where it's like, um, you know, this there's sort of a question couched in here. So I apologize. i will I'll get to it. But the, um, you know, it's like, I liked a band like earth crisis. Like they were incredibly influential to me, you know, opened my eyes up to, you know, veganism and straight edge and everything like that. But then, you know, I hear, you know, get the kid with the sideburns. And then I kind of have a different view of like how the scene exists. And like, you know, it, not trying to rehash old drama because that's not what I'm here for. But like, just this notion of you know, reversal of band existing, trying to rally, um, you know, the weirdo kids, um, not behind, like, not being against this band per se, but just against the mentality behind it. It, you know, that that's a, like that's important. And I think the um, the kind of casual nature that you know you were talking about the idea of just like, well, yeah, like you know, we're just touring and you know, kind of happenstance. But like the way that you presented it. Uh, was very, um, uh, I guess, inspirational, if that makes sense at all. Like, I'm trying to kind of weave a, a few different narratives in there, but...
1: Sure, sure, no, for sure. It, as a side note, too, like, all of us were really into Earth Crisis.
0: <laughs> totally, and, and, that, and, yeah, and we it were, seemed that way.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, we were like, I mean, man, that Firestorm EP, whoa. You know, still, like, I listen to it today, I'm like, man, this is really brutal and still powerful. I mean, minus the the, some of the... The stuff they dealt with with pro-life, you know, or the pro-life issues, like I still I still very much agree with, you know, all their animal liberation stuff and, and veganism and whatnot for sure. But, um, yeah, we just kind of felt let down. You know, I feel like Tampa – Tampa was this really interesting group of – Tons of different like subgenres of I don't know music culture that came together. It was a mix of goths. It was a mix of industrial people. It was a mix of punks. It was mi- a mix of crust punks. It was a mix of straight edge kids. And I feel like we all came together and just made this big group of like you said weirdos. I mean that's what we were. It's what we still are. You know. And you know after uh, I feel like like as that style of music that not New York City that that style of like tough guy hardcore like it. I don't know it almost became a threat down here because it was more of like man this is cool like we agree with a lot of this stuff but we're just we're really not into this approach and that that whole instance started out with us like just being stupid at their show and we dressed up like the village people and we're dancing around and having a good time and they they literally got violent with us because that wasn't something that they were into
0: right <laughs> so yeah but that, that's taken yeah that's that's taken the piss out of their uh, their their message so to speak but yeah and, and it's so funny because like in like trying to place in context um, so much of that quote unquote scene drama from you know the the mid to late 90s and like trying to put that in context now where it's like you know the the, the scene drama that exists is like you know, real world stuff, you're talking about, you know, uh, band members being inappropriate with, you know, young girls and stuff. And it's just like, sure. dude, we were talking about like, you know, stuff that seems so inconsequential of just like, yeah, goofing off at a show and then having bands beef with one another. And like, yeah, of course there were certain issues that were, you know, more m- meaningful and, uh, caused more of a stir back then. But so much of that scene drama just seems like so inconsequential.
1: Oh, absolutely. Completely. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a hundred percent yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, absolutely,
0: for yeah, sure. That's funny. Um, and so then, you know, as, as you started to kind of, you know, like you said, you had a, you know, real mental breakdown. You had to take, you know, a pause from touring with the band. And like you said, the touring aspect was really, really difficult. There were highs and lows behind it. Um, you know, did w- w- as you started to transition out of the kind of, you know, the band life, and then start to, you know, look at the real world. Was there? Um, I, I guess did, did it feel uh, weird making that transition? Was it like a relief in certain respects, or you know, because sometimes people have that, like, oh, I am known as you know Matt from Reversal of Man, and like now I am not known as that. Um, did was there a difficulty in transitioning between those two?
1: Um, no, because I I still went to shows. I mean, I still go to shows today with the same people that I was going to shows with in the early '90s. So it it didn't really like. I think BMX just took, you know, came into the forefront for me more than. It's it's funny because I remember going back. We would go to practice, and this was this was a different volatile period for us in the band with one of our old guitarists, um, and we were having some issues. And I kept thinking, all right, if band practice doesn't work out today, if I get really bummed out on what's going on, I'm just going to go ride my bike and get really stoked. And I would always think to myself, if. I'm not stoked on punk anymore and hardcore. I'm just going to ride BMX full-time because that's my that's my substitute to punk and hardcore. So like as the band, as we broke up, um, Combat, which was essentially all of us except me, um, well, and, and sorry, Dan Shook, um, excuse me, Combat was all reversal, man plus Dan shook essentially um, went on and they, they I think they were around for another year and a half so like I would still go to all, to, to all their shows and support them and whatnot and then as that kind of transitioned out I would I just got more heavy into BMX because that for me was the substitute for the road trip in a very shorter length of time so basically instead of going out for 6 weeks I would just take our team out for 5 days we would go to New England I would go to shows at night I would do stuff with the team during the day and that became a much larger part of my life, I should say, which still is. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a just good timing, I guess, with with getting that job. I mean, had profile not happened, I I don't know what would have happened. To be honest with you, I mean, I thank those, I thank Jim, my boss, so much for allowing me to take that job and still have it for this long because it's become it's become that touring substitute for me. So
0: yeah, no, uh, I mean that makes sense. Well, and I, maybe not even a touring substitute. I mean, obviously it was, but just the the idea of being. Um, plugged into communities you know because I, I definitely see some people as they transition out of band life and then you know they don't feel as connected to going to shows or whatever and then that's when you know people kind of drop off because they don't find a community that sure. fosters that you know and so yeah it, it's just cool that you were able to you know exist uh you know in both worlds and still find the importance in both of them and that's yeah that's a that's a cool transition
1: Cool. Thanks. Yeah, and what I mean, yeah, you're right. Touring is more of an analogy for a lot of things, like creativity, because I'm, I'm we're able to be creative at work. We're, we're American-made. We, we make bicycle components that are all um, made in our shop. So it's like this. We I go in and we can create whatever we want to to give to people for their bikes. You know. So it's like it's kind of and there's there's DIY ethics involved in that. There's it. it I don't know. It was perfect. Perfect timing. So um, definitely thankful for that for sure.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. Um, last two things I want to hit on was the, um, something that, uh, you know, you are, uh, you are still, you're still straight edge. Yes. Correct.
1: Yes. yes. very much. So. And, right.
0: Sure. And you are uh, vegan or vegetarian? Uh, I'm vegan. Okay. And so, you know, that's weird because you're old and like, <laughs> you, but I mean, you know, it's like, you know, I mean, I say that because I am both those things as well. And I think many people kind of look at that as, you know, I mean, clearly it's an anomaly, like not everybody kind of, you know, adopts those lifestyles when they're in their teens and then still carries them you know into adulthood um you know what kind of keeps yeah i guess what kind of keeps you connected to you know both because you know they both are i mean veganism less so because you know clearly that's connected to stuff outside of our subculture especially now but you know especially like straight edge as well like that um you know that, that sometimes is viewed as like, all right, yeah, well, you're 25 and now you can just call yourself sober or whatever, but sure, sure, yeah. What, what keeps you connected to both?
1: Um, that's a good question actually. Um, Tampa, a lot of the people that I grew up with within the straight edge scene are actually still really close friends of mine. And, It's funny, I'm thinking of like Seminole Heights where we live. I mean, I could think of probably 10 dudes offhand right now that are still straight edge that are probably over 45, close to 50 now. And it's like, that's a part of it. It's almost like this revelry in the fact that we're all still these kids and grown up people's bodies, you know? So I I think that's definitely one of the connections for me is that I have so many close friends that are still very straight edge, not in in this like this, you know, I'm going to wave my banner type deal, but more of like, I don't know, it's a connection to our youth and something we still... I mean, as far as labels, the label sense go, like I I guess it's more, I don't know, kind of like this camaraderie between all of us within the scene here that are still straight edge that we can, uh, I don't know, connect to, I guess. Um, And then the veganism, the the same deal. I mean, I I know a lot of my friends here still locally that are that are vegan as well. Uh, My wife's vegan. That's actually how we met. We met in '98 because she was going vegan. I went vegan in '95 and then um, met her a couple years later. She was interested in going vegan. She's still vegan as well. So that's my connection to veganism is that that's, that's all we know at this point.
0: Yeah, it's not a lifestyle. It's like, no, that's just like who we are, the core of our being. Yeah, for sure. And
1: it's interesting too, because I get, uh, Ariel, my wife and I, just went down to Mexico for vacation. We went to Tulum, which is this, I mean, it's like a vegan Mecca down there. It's incredible. But um, we, we were eating lunch and this uh, woman sat down with us and ate lunch from Canada. And she was like, Talking about how she'd never met anyone that had been vegan as long as we were, and why I'm saying that is because it was more um, when we got into it. It was more for health issues for her. It's like it's it's funny to talk to someone about it where I'm like, it has actually nothing to do with health. It has everything to do with our ethics and and just destroying animals' life to eat. <laughs> you know, it's like as I don't the health stuff is a side effect, which is great, but that's not why you know we're vegan. But um, but yeah, still in our neighborhood, like very very strong connection to both here and i think that's probably why i still you know i'm waving my banner for sure i'm always going to be sober i have no doubts about that i'm I'm never going to do any of that stuff but as far as like having that as a label like it's definitely this camaraderie just connecting to the the same dudes i'm hanging out that i was hanging out with when i was 16 and feel the same way so
0: right right and i'm sure you get this all the time too especially when you exist in the real world where um you know, it's not like you can mention the word straight edge to people and they'll have any idea what you're talking about. But, you know, most people I'm sure look at you are like, oh, oh, you know, Matt doesn't drink. So like he's a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> it's like it, it happens so often where you're just like, no, I just don't drink. And they're like, well, what? Like it just doesn't compute. And I'm like, it's 2018. This is insane that people still think that way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's really funny. I still get that for sure. Like, yeah. People that I, I don't know, I'm like, Oh, you want to drink? I'm like, actually, I, you know, I, 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 I'm, I kind of, I guess I'm always cheesy when I say, actually, you know what? I don't even know what alcohol tastes like, man. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> dude. So good. I don't even know what alcohol tastes like. That's
1: like, <laughs> and I'm, I mean, I'm not saying it to be a dick. I'm being nah. honest. Like, I don't, I don't know what this stuff, I, I'm not going to try it now. I haven't done it for 41 years. You right. know, so. yeah, yeah.
0: I'm good. I'm good, man. Thanks. <laughs> um, and kind of, uh, the, the last thing I want to hit on was, you know, kind of what we were, we danced around it, uh, previously, but the, you know, how you view kind of nostalgia, um, as people, you know, still bring up, uh, you know, reversal of man and look at that band as, you know, being a touchstone and being influential. Um, and then, you know, bands that you guys, you know, toured with from, you know, ASUK to, you know, Orchid and everything else, like these, many of these bands get, you know, vaulted up into the sort of, you know uh (laughs) the rafters so to speak but you know at any one time they were playing you know uh, on a tour for like a grand total of like 300 people you know for like a (laughs) six-week tour or whatever um you know so how do you kind of uh I guess deal with like nostalgia and kind of uh you know your own personal feelings towards your band and then the way that um you know other people kind of reflect on uh you know your work over you know a three period of time and people still call you Matt from Reversal of Man you know how does that kind of jigger around in your brain?
1: I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's very humbling for sure, but I I feel like, yeah, I get a lot of people reaching out and it's, it's cool. I get to make kind of late connections, not late, but like, you know, connections posthumously 20, 20 years down the road where, you know, I get people that, you know, it's like me reaching out to, I guess, a local, um, um, writers here that I've done before, you know, I reach out and I say, Hey man, I really appreciate this piece of work that you wrote twenty years ago. Um, kinda of the same thing I think and, and again it's it's really humbling and uh I mean I don't reminisce on this well, I shouldn't say that because I definitely post things on Instagram, but they're like found objects and I feel like it's it's like I find something and I feel like a story needs to be told about it just to, to share, you know, to share that story. But um I mean I don't I, I guess looking back, I mean I don't I don't feel any negativity towards that i'm not really sure i guess it's kind of an open-ended question um but i definitely appreciate it all i miss it a lot i'm not gonna lie i don't i don't hate it I, i mean i try not to hate it because i have other things going on that i feel that i can create to to offer other people you know is it whether it be art whether it be writing whether it be photography or or writing with people during sessions or whatnot but um I, again I feel too like Tampa's experiencing a renaissance right now with a lot of the dudes that I and women that I grew up with uh, here in the scene that are doing new projects so it's it's kind of really awesome to start not experiencing it again it's just like it's still here it never went anywhere it's just like whether people know about it or not Tampa is always. Tampa's always had really cool stuff going on, and it's just a surrogate for for what I experienced heavily from from 95 to 2000. Um, Jeff from Reversal Man's in a new band called Horsewhip. They're incredible. I mean, they sound like a brutal 90s hardcore band, and it's all my friends I grew up with. Uh, one of the dudes I actually still ride BMX with does vocals uh, who is from a band Order of Importance from here. So um, I don't know. I, I guess the reminiscent part, like, we're still experiencing it here. Maybe not on as big of or not big. I shouldn't say that, but like not on a level we used to, because we're not touring. We're not, you know, able to reach out as much as we we can. But it's still a big, big and heavy influence here in in our neighborhood. So I don't know. Sorry, that was kind of a roundabout answer to the question. No. sorry
0: Well, no. Because I mean, it, it I I mean, I appreciate those thoughts because it's like you know, there's no real, you know, easy kind of uh, buttoned up answer for that. Just because it is. Yep these things that you start when you are, you know, young and how they reflect on people. Uh, you, I mean, every piece of art, ha- you you cannot possibly comprehend the intentions uh, or, or the ramifications of that piece of art sure. once it gets released in the world. And so um, I, I think the only thing that I reflect on uh, of, you know, bands of your ilk, where it's just like it, it boggles my mind. Of, you know, how something so, you know, uh, visceral and uh, honestly small, relatively speaking, you know, when you're comparing it against other bands, um, it, how it can have the, the kind of memory and long, long lasting nature when it's like, you know, this, this was kind of meant to be in a time and a place. And like you said, the most important part of reversal of man was the live show. And like, obviously people can't experience that now, you know? And so it's, uh, it, it's just, it, it, it's cool to be able to point to that and ha- still have people, like you said, kind of, you know, care about it. And that's just like humbling.
1: Very much so for sure. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. That's really cool. Well, Matt, I love hanging out with you. This was super fun and I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I hope it was all the- that you thought it was going to be cracked up to be.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you reaching out again. It was really humbling that you'd ask. And I hope I, uh, I don't know. I hope I answered the questions properly. <laughs> I get a little nervous sometimes that I go on tangents, but I think it's, you know, it's all relative, uh, relevant, I should say.
0: wow wow right matt was a great chat and i hope you uh you learned some stuff because i definitely know i did and uh i appreciated his uh clarification on the whole BMX versus skate culture, because like, you know, sometimes you just build up these ideas and archetypes in your head and you don't know if they're actually reflective over what it is that uh, is the truth. So uh, I appreciated that. And uh, thank you very much, Matt, for taking the time, because I know we had some scheduling issues and uh, yeah, he, he took some time off of work for this. And I really appreciate that. So boom. And next week is another awesome chat. This is a person who I had never met prior to doing the podcast with her. Her name is Yvette young from a band called covet and they're from northern california they have the whole sort of like you know art indie rock math rock thing whatever you want to call it instrumental i adore the band and when the opportunity to speak to her came across my my email inbox i was like yeah actually that sounds awesome and she is incredibly compelling because basically she's like this you know guitar savant that has a large social media following but you know comes from the sort of you know DIY principles that many of us know and you know just goes to you know local independent shows but then also has this large following online and just kind of the two worlds that collide where she's like i'm just a normal human and then people happen to pay attention to what i'm doing online so it's really interesting but and covet is an awesome band so they're coming out with a new record on triple crown or a new ep if i'm not mistaken six songs super super good probably going to be in my uh year end best of list in some capacity but i don't know because it's not a full length so anyways um yeah so we got next week and please be safe everybody and i'll be talking to you from not hawaii next time okay <laughs> talk to you then bye Oh, but wait one moment. WeTransfer is on a mission to make the internet a nicer, simpler, more beautiful place. That's why they built their site to send files with no logins, no passwords, and no privacy intrusions. Start sending files privately and securely at wetransfer.com. You make, we transfer. Boom. Done. Thank you very much. I'll see you next week. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.